Only for a short time, really, in their history has Israel ever been truly free. They were enslaved in Egypt, held hostage in the desert because of their own doing. They were captured by Babylon, ruled by Persia. And by the time we get to the time of Christ, they're under Roman authority. They were living among sinners. They were ruled by Gentiles. They were surrounded on all sides by people who did not follow Yahweh. And the I Am, the one who had led them out of Egypt, the one who had guided them through the desert, the one that had given them the promised land, had gone silent. In the past, He had spoken through prophets, through priests, through kings, and even through a donkey. But in the last couple of hundred years, nothing. They were waiting, hoping, looking for another rescuer, for another word, for something from their God. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law and cloud and majesty and awe. You see, God had given them the law. It had been in order to keep them going in those moments when perhaps he wasn't as vocal as others. They knew it was a sacred thing, and so they had built these buffers up around it. They had said, we don't want to get close to breaking the law, so let's, let's go steps beyond the law to say, don't do this. And what it meant to protect them, what it meant to give them freedom, had become oppressive and overbearing. No one could keep them. No one could do what they were required to do. And they began to cry out for something new something different. They were looking for help. O come, thou, um, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path of misery. Um, close the path to misery. They were looking for hope. That God would speak again. A new way, a new person, maybe a new prophet, or a new priest, or a new king. They wanted someone that would lighten the burden, someone that would show them a better way. And so generation after generation, they waited, and waited, and waited. For the promised Messiah of David's line, for the promised deliverer that God would send, they waited for God to show up. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. God's people needed rescue. They were looking to Him. They were looking for a word. They were looking for help. They didn't realize it, but their hope would come. Their hope would come not in a king, not in a priest, not in a prophet, but in one who was all three of those. A child in a manger. They were waiting for God. They were hoping for God. And Jesus would come. Emmanuel. God with us. 
Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have come. That the promise that you gave to Israel to send a Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus. And that as you fulfilled that in Jesus, you have given hope to us. But Lord, today we also look forward to a time when you are coming again. And so just as Israel cried for deliverance, we cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Lord, we pray that today, even as we open your word, that we would be reminded of your grace and your mercy and your love, and that we would be emboldened to speak for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. It's Christmas. I don't know if you know that or not. Three weeks from today is Christmas. Uh, I said that in the first service, and uh, I got some eye rolls and like uhs and that kind of thing, because it's coming quickly, right? Like you say that in a group of kids, you're like, woo, it's great. You say it in front of adults that have things to do, and you're like, oh, let's, let's postpone it, right? But Christmas is here. One of my favorite things about Christmas is the music. I love Christmas music. I love listening to Christmas music. Um, I love having it playing. And whether you're a pre-Thanksgiving Christmas music person, a day after Thanksgiving Christmas person, a December 1st Christmas music person, or anytime you want to play it during the year, Christmas music person. Like, I love the music of the season. In fact, I was thinking about that when I, when I was reminded of a quote, and, and I want you to help me with this quote. I'm just going to put the first part of it up, and then you finish it for me, okay? I'm confident that many of you can finish this, all right? And so here's the quote. We'll put it up there. There it is. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loudly for all to hear, right? What's that from? Elf, right? Anybody here like Elf? Anybody here Elf? fans, right? I mean, I love Elf. I love this picture right here, just everything about it, right? Um, and the idea in the movie is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil the movie for you. If you haven't seen it by now, that's your fault. Um, it's like it's been on, like it came out in 2003 and it's on 45 times every December, all right? And so the premise of the movie is the, the people believing in Santa is going down. It's not happening. A sleigh can't fly because belief has gone down. And then by the end of the movie, they get all these strange New Yorkers to sing a song. And as they sing a song, Christmas cheer is spread and belief happens and Santa flies again, right? Now here's what I want to tell you. The idea that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loudly for all to hear is not something that was invented in 2003 with the book, with the movie Elf, right? I mean, part of the beauty of this season is the number of songs we have that help us understand and think about and get in the mood for Christmas. And part of what makes this season different is that radio stations change their whole format for this year. We used to have just one in town. Now I think there are like four like that change their formats for a month for Christmas. Now here's what I want to do, all right? And then we'll talk about why we're doing this. I want you, all right? Because there, there are all kinds of Christmas songs out there. Some of them are deeply theological, deeply spiritual. And some of them are, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. And they're not, all right? And so I want you to think about, we're going to do two categories. One is that, you know, silly or funny or non-spiritual Christmas song that you love, all right? 
And so um, think about that. And then in a moment, I'm going to ask you also like the spiritual Christmas song, the song actually about Jesus that you love. All right. And so what I want you to do to start with is turn to somebody around you and tell them the non-spiritual fun or serious or emotional Christmas song that you love. All right. Right now. Go. All right. All right. So somebody somebody tell me what somebody told you. All right. What they what did you hear? Justin, what do you got? The Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. All right. Is that self uh, promoting? You like that? OK, good. It's a good song. All right. Somebody else. We got we got uh, Matt Sternberg in the back back there. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. There you go. We got Andrew Lloyd on the a little bit. We didn't know what to do with the gifts. Should we uh, take them back or just keep them, right? I mean, it's the biggest dilemma they have after Grandma got run over by the reindeer. You ever notice that? All right. What, what else? Anything else out there? Or is that that's like unanimous? Some people are clapping for that. Never thought I'd get claps for Grandma got run over by a reindeer, right? Mike Allen, you got something back there? Or you just... I, I didn't tell you that if you said one I didn't know, you had to come sing it. So come on, Mike. No, <laughs> Marty apparently wants to sing. Dominic the Christmas Donkey. All right. We'll get that up somewhere. All right. I actually, I did hear that a few years ago on the radio when they were playing the worst Christmas song somewhere. Uh, anybody else got one? All right. Now turn around, same people around you. Tell them your favorite religious, spiritual Christmas song. All right. Go with that. All right, somebody tell me something you got out there. Mary, did you know over here? Tori, what you got over there? Silent Night, all right. We got repeat offenders with their hands up. Oh, we got Anlin Bagga back there. What you got, Anlin? Joy to the World, there's a good one, all right. Justin, what you got? Peace. Okay. Peace, all right. Justin's is peace, all right. So here's what here's the reason we're doing this series. okay? because the crazy thing about Christmas carols is that this time of year, they're everywhere. Like You go into Macy's and you're shopping at Macy's and while you're shopping at Macy's, you'll hear a song that we'll sing on Sunday morning. Now, no other time of year does that happen. Like You don't walk into uh, Jiffy Lube on May 4th and they're singing. Uh, this is amazing grace. Like, that's not there. Or if it is, you're like, wow. I mean, like, there's a special kind. I mean, we know they, that Chick-fil-A does that and cookouts when we love those places. But in general, most places don't play songs that we could sing on Sunday morning in here. And so it's a different kind of year. But here's the concern that happens for that. Is that it just becomes background noise. It's just another part of the season. It's just a tree and it's just the presence And it's just the stuff that gets around the season. And songs begin to move in together. And so uh, Winter Wonderland sounds uh, in your mind similar to Joy to the World because you just hear them together and around all the time. And what happens is these songs that have such strong meaning and tie so deeply to this season, we lose the impact of what they are trying to communicate. And so over the next... Uh, four weeks today and then the next three weeks after this, we're going to take one carol. Now, we could extend this like for a year and take great carols and talk about the biblical 
underpinnings, the biblical realities that are there that led to them being written. Now we're going to talk about it in order that when you're driving down the road and you're at Rivergate at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and it takes you an hour and a half to get from one store to another, that you're there mad at the person that cuts you off, the song comes on the radio and you're like, oh yeah, okay, I remember what that's about. Or you're in the drive-thru just trying to grab a quick bite in between shopping errands. And the person gives you the wrong order. You look in the bag and you're ready to let them know that they gave you the wrong order. in maybe not the most Christian response possible. And the song comes on and you're like, oh, let me stop and think about what's going on. That at some point during the season, shopping in Publix, getting gas at the gas station... That this song will come on and it will just take you back to the reality of what's happening in the season. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. First of all, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles or if you've got, uh, maybe it's on your cell phone or um, iPad or tablet or something. Take it and go to Isaiah chapter 7. We'll get there in a moment. Isaiah chapter 7. And I'm going to ask you to do something I've never asked you to do in the midst of a sermon. I'm going to ask you to take that white book in front of you. You may have to share. These are called hymnals. All right. And I'm going to ask you to turn to hymn number 76. And I am not going to sing that for you. But as we walk through this sermon, as we walk through it, we're going to reference the the, um, hymn for the day, the carol for today, which is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're going to look at some realities in the text and then look at some realities that it says in the carol to kind of tie it together. Now, this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. That's a good thing about being what I do. Like, I can just pick my four favorite and we can go with them, right? And this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. And here's what's really cool about this song. It's the oldest carol that we still sing. We don't really know when it was written. We don't have a name of who wrote it, but it's believed, most people believe, that it was a monk who wrote it around 800 A.D. Now just think about this for a minute, okay? 800 years after Jesus born was born, 1,200 years from us, this hymn was written closer to Jesus being born than to us. Now, the music was put in it later, and so the music that you hear, the melody that you hear, is not with it originally. It was just a chant that they would say, a chant that they would sing. But the words there are over 1,200 years old. And it looks at and speaks to the glorious incarnation of Christ and the purpose for Him coming. And the title tells us right away that there are some questions that we need to ask, some things we need to know. And the first thing is, it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. The question is, what does Emmanuel mean? The first issue that we have to take care of is the meaning of Emmanuel. And here's what I want to tell you. If you don't get this question right, If you don't get the understanding of this particular question, the meaning of Emmanuel right, then you miss what Christmas is all about. Then you miss the purpose for this entire season. Now here's what I want to tell you. A vast majority of people celebrating Christmas in our country this year will not get this question right. They won't understand the significance of it. And they'll have Christmas, but they'll miss the meaning. 
Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 14, tells us about an incident that happened with King Ahaz back in the Old Testament. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, we're going to leave that scripture up for a little bit because I want to explain what's happening in the book of Isaiah around this particular passage. We hear this passage all the time during this time of year. If you're in church, there's a good chance you're going to hear it. If you're around church, you're going to hear it. You may hear a child say it on the radio in between songs, or you may hear it as a narration in some kind of program that you're at. They will have a son. The virgin will give birth and have a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Here's what's happening in Isaiah chapter 7. At this time, the king of Israel is a guy named Ahaz. And Ahaz, as king there, has already had a couple of significant defeats in his military career. And he really can't afford another one. And one of the largest nations is now encroaching upon him, is now coming on him, and is about to attack his nation. And another power comes and says, you know what, we can just make an alliance with each other. We'll protect you, you protect us, you just pay us a little money and everything will be okay. And God does not want that alliance to happen. And so he sends Isaiah to talk to King Ahaz. And he gets there and he says, you don't need to make the alliance. And he goes, that's great, that's great, why do I not need to make the alliance? He says, God's going to protect you. And he says, okay, that's great, but why do I not need to make the alliance? I still think it's good. And he says, do you want a sign? God will give you a sign. And he says, I don't want a sign. I don't want to test the Lord. Here's what we know if you've read the Scripture. He's already made the alliance that God didn't want. He's just going through the show of acting like he's going to do what God wants him to do. This is a side note. This is free. There are a lot of times in our lives when we know exactly what God's calling us to do and we've already made the alliance to go the other way. And we may go through the show of acting like, man, I really want to do God's will, but we already know in our heart and in our mind it's not going to happen. Lord, I realize there's some things that I need to give up for my family. I realize there's some things I need to give up for my spiritual life. Lord, I realize there are some things I need to begin to do in order to honor you, in order to glorify you, and only to live for you. But you know what, God? I'll act like I'm going to think about it. I'll sit in church. I'll write down notes. I'll act with people. I'll act like I need you to pray for me about this. But in my heart, it's already settled. I'm not doing that. Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, well, whether you want a sign or not, this is what's going to happen. The virgin over there, the one that's unmarried, the one that um, you see pure, undefiled, she's going to give birth. Nine to ten months, she's going to have a baby. We're going to call him Emmanuel. And before that child can determine right from wrong. Now, there's a lot of questions about what age that is. Seven, ten, thirteen, somewhere in that range. So let's just say within ten years, all these nations that you are worried about are going to be gone. And if you trust the Lord, you'll have the greatest days in the history of Israel. There'll be a child born. And it'll be proof to you that I'm with you. That's the original meaning of the phrase Emmanuel, God with us. 
is that God was going to be with his people in their most difficult time, in the season of their lives, when they thought all hope looked like it was lost. God says, I'm going to give you a sign, and it's going to be a child, and it's going to be 10 months from now, you're going to have this kid, and this kid's going to sit there, and his name will be Emmanuel, and you'll be able to look at him and say, that shows us God's here. And before he's 10 years old, those nations will be wiped out. And if you'll just trust in me, then I promise you, you will prosper, you will do good, and the best days of Israel are ahead. And you know what Ahaz did? He kept his alliance. And he failed as a king. You get to Matthew. Matthew picks up this phrase. Matthew chapter 1 says this. She will. This is Mary now he's talking about. Give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Jesus means literally the Lord saves. The Hebrew form is Joshua. The Greek form is Jesus. The idea is the Lord saves. And he says, you're going to name your son Jesus because he will save people from his sins. And then he says, now all this took place. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. He's really concerned about Jewish prophecy. He's concerned to say, this is the long-awaited promised Messiah. This is the O come, O come, Emmanuel we've been waiting for. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah and he says this in the next verse. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And so he says, in the Old Testament, it was a sign to a group of people that were worried about a nation destroying them. He says to them, listen, I'm going to give you a child, and the child will be Emmanuel, and it will show you that I am with you. And before that child is ten years old, all the nations around you that you're worried about are going to be gone. So you can know that I am trustworthy. I am God. In the New Testament, he comes and says, listen, I'm going to give you a child, but this time it's not going to save you from an enemy encroaching from around your borders. It's going to save you from the enemy within. He's going to forgive your sins. He's going to save you from your sins. And I'm going to prove to you again that I'm a God that's on your side. I'm a God that is for you. I am as God who is with you. You see, the meaning of Emmanuel is really found in the two parts of that word. The first part means God. Literally means God. And the most important question that you can ever ask about Christmas, the biggest question you can ask about Christmas, the most personal question you can ask about Christmas is, who is that child in the manger? You see, sometimes even as believers, we get caught up in all the stuff around it. And it is a beautiful, cute story. We get caught up in shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph and the stable and the innkeeper. And the journey in Bethlehem. We try in our mind to recreate all the circumstances around it. But the circumstances, while significant, are not the most important aspect of that whole story. The most important aspect of that whole story is, who is that baby in a manger? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room today, what you have determined is that that baby in the manger is God. My favorite account is when when I was when I was younger, my favorite account of the Christmas story was Luke. I love Luke. I mean, that gives you all the details, right? The research. I still love Luke. Still love that story. But in the days over the last few years. My favorite version of the Christmas story is John chapter 1. Now here's the thing. 
There aren't any shepherds in John 1. There's no star. No angels. But John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you read that, the first thing you think is, what in the, why is he calling Jesus the Word? I mean, that sounds like a hip new coffee shop downtown, right? I'm going to head down to the Word. Like, why would you call Jesus that? And as you read it and study it, you understand that in the Old Testament, the Word of God was always used to reveal who God is. And even more than that, when you look at John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, it is supposed to directly remind us of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning. And when you look in the beginning of Genesis, when God created, how did He create? He created by His Word. He spoke and it came into existence. And then the New Testament tells us that the way he created by speaking was that his son Jesus was the agent that he used. And so the scripture tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the very word of God, the revelation of God. What we understand about God, we get from that. And the beginning was the word and the word was with God, that he was right there alongside of him in the beginning before time. He has always existed. There's never been a time when Jesus has not been. The crazy thing to think about is that baby in a manger had always existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And listen, I cannot wrap my mind around the reality that God is with Jesus, and Jesus is with God, and God is Jesus, and Jesus is God, and yet at the time that Jesus is here on earth, that God is in heaven, and they're separated by that somehow, but still together, and I cannot understand all of that, and if you have to understand all of that, then sorry. It's not going to happen. But I know what Scripture says, and it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now think about this. Emmanuel, God, God, Jesus is God. Think about this. He created everything that we know. It tells us that in Colossians. It tells us that in John 1. Everything we know He created. And so the Creator of the world becomes a baby who is dependent upon the very creation that He did. The sustainer of all life, it tells us in Colossians, is now being sustained by the very thing he created. God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is God, and yet he is completely human. There's some Christmas carols that I love, but that have some inaccurate information within them. Okay? For instance, there's the beloved classic, Away in a Manger. My kids, my girls love Away in a Manger. They want to sing it. But there's that whole part about the little Lord Jesus wakes up, and what does he do? He doesn't, no crying he makes. You ever been around a baby? Babies do four things. They eat, they sleep, they poop, and they cry. Going to get an amen in the house. That's what they do, right? I remember, uh, I remember going to, uh, uh, when I was in Ripley and we had Eli for the first time. You don't tell Eli what I'm about to tell you. All right. You know, he's sitting right there. All right. Um, we first, when we first had Eli, um, I had a meeting that I had to have. I was pastoring First Baptist Church Ripley. Uh, one of the deacons in our church was a guy named uh, Craig Fitzhugh. Craig Fitzhugh is a state legislature guy. He's also the president of the Bank of Ripley. And uh, I, went, I had to go meet with him, talk through some, some budget stuff at the church, and uh, went to his office. I think Eli was like a week, week and a half old. 
And uh, at that point, I was a zombie. I was walking dead, like tired, exhausted, out on my feet. I walked to his office. First thing he said to me, he says, do you just need a nap? Like, do you just want to take this time a nap? I said, that might be awesome. He said, let me just tell you a secret. He says, they don't do anything for nine months. I said, what do you mean? He goes, like everybody's going to come over. Oh, they're so cute. Don't you just love it? And you're like, yeah, when it's not yours and you're not taking care of it, right? But for the first nine months, he said, all they're going to do is look up at you and eat and sleep and poop and cry. And nobody has ever thought that is the parts of a winning personality. All right? Like now it'll get better and things happen and personality comes and all of that. But that's who they are. When Jesus Christ was born in a manger, do you know what he did as a baby? He ate and slept and pooped and cried. And I know it almost seems irreligious to talk like that. One of my favorite uh, authors on this is Max Lucado. And he says, God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched out against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God came near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. Were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with Him. And had the synagogue leader in Nazareth only known who was listening to His sermons. Jesus probably had pimples. He could have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on Him or vice versa. His knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. And when you say the phrase Emmanuel, it contains all of that in one. Infinite, almighty God with us. In fact, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son of God. You need to understand the the meaning of Emmanuel. But secondly, we need to understand the mission of Emmanuel. Why did He come? What was the reason that God became one of us? And there are two reasons, and we're going to look at those from Scripture, but also through the hymn. I told you to open up the hymn. We're going to look at that in just a second. And the first thing is, he came to ransom and redeem the spiritually exiled and enslaved. He came to ransom and redeem the spiritually exiled and enslaved. Look at what the first verse of the hymn says. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear come and ransom captive israel 
The idea here is literally that Israel was a nation that had been in bondage for most of their lives. The picture here is of Israel in that time between Isaiah and the time when Jesus would come. And they're longing for, they're looking for, they're crying out for redemption. They're crying out for being ransomed, being rescued, being saved. Isaiah 35.10 talks about a day when the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion, come to the home, the city of God, with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. They were looking towards a day when God would restore them, when God would heal them, when God would bring them back. And while they were looking for an earthly conqueror, God was sending a heavenly Savior. Mark 10:45 tells us that Jesus says I have come not to be served but to serve and to become a ransom for many. The reason that he came, the reason for Emmanuel is that he stepped into our place. Last uh, December there was a horrible incident that happened in Knoxville, Tennessee. There was a guy that was a sophomore at Fulton High School guy named Xavion Dobson, 15 years old, sophomore, star football player. Kid that possibly had a future playing football. He was at a party. There were some people hanging out. It was around 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And some guys that were associated with another shooting made their way to their party and pulled out a gun and approached their group. And while they approached their group and began to shoot, Xavion Dobson laid on top of three girls. And it said in the, in the uh, paper, the chief of police said, he acted like a sh- human shield and took the gunshots meant for those girls. Xavion Dobson died that night. And not a single other person had an injury or a scratch. He literally stepped in their place and took their punishment. Scripture says that Emmanuel came to ransom and redeem the spiritually exiled and enslaved. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was acting as a human divine shield that took the sin and the wrath of God completely on him. Like a sponge, he soaked up every last drop of the full wrath of God intended for us. The mission of Emmanuel was to ransom and redeem the spiritually exiled and enslaved. But secondly, it was to give hope to the severely discouraged. Look at the second verse of this hymn. O come thou day spring. We don't use the word day spring anymore. But there are a lot of words that have changed in 1,200 years, all right? Dayspring there is the idea of daybreak. Oh, come sunrise. So in the deepest darkness, we're looking on the horizon for that first bit of light. Come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows Put to flight. He came not only to save us from our sin, although that was the primary mission, He came also to give hope to the severely discouraged. 
You're going through real difficult times. You're going through unbelievable pain, unbelievable sorrow. You've had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Relationships have disappointed you. Financial stuff has disappointed you. Career has disappointed you. Friends have disappointed you. You have those moments in our lives. And my guess is if you've here and lived very long at all this morning, you have had severe disappointments in your life. And if that is true, God comes through Emmanuel to say, not only am I here to save you from our sins, but I'm going to give you hope in the midst of it. The scripture tells us in Hebrews that we have a high priest that is not unaware of our own suffering, that is not unaware of our own plight, who has been tempted like we have been tempted, who has seen discouragement like we have seen discouragement, even before he went to the cross, the night before he went to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood and agony because of the discouragement that was happening in his life. And he said, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to do it. He died for the hope set before him to give us a hope and a future. Listen, this world is going to drop every bit of joy you have. You know, part of the reason I think our world loves Christmas is because it's just full of joy. Whether people believe in Jesus or not, it's an opportunity for them to say there's hope. It's at the end of the year. I mean, 2016 has been a discouraging year. Amen? I mean, not just, maybe for you personally it has been, but in general. Now, some of you are like, no, it's been the best year of my life. But in the world in general, it's been discouraging. And just because of the way we live and the information that we have, we know about discouraging stuff a lot more frequently than they used to. And in the midst of that, Emmanuel says, I'm here. You have hope. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The world, our enemy, wants to steal, kill, and destroy your joy, your life, your hope. But I have come that you might have life more abundantly. We have the message, the meaning, the mission, and the last thing is the motivation of Emmanuel. What do we do? What is this calls in us? Well, it's in the course there. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice. See, here's the thing. We live in kind of a weird time. We live in between the first coming. You ever feel weird sometimes singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because you're like, he's come? Like, why are we asking Jesus to come? He's come? Like, he did that? Well, Scripture says we live between the first coming of Jesus and the second. And so when we sing this hymn, we do look back to Jesus, thank you for coming, for ransoming our soul, but we look forward to a day when he's coming again. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Restore us, redeem us. The motivation of this is that we live our lives as a life of praise. We sing praise to the Lord. We give honor to Him. We don't allow the small circumstances of our life to determine how we live, but we live for the hope and the glory of God, trusting in Him. And then we're motivated to let people all around us that need to know about Him know about Him. You see, Scripture is very clear why there's been, to this point, a 2,000 year gap between his first coming and his second. It's very clear. 
It says that God is not slow in keeping His promises as some people consider slow. He is patient with you in order that all men might not perish but might be saved. You see, the whole reason that He hasn't come again is He's giving us an opportunity to tell people about Him. And here's the truth. Some of you in this room today, you're not followers of Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The reason that He hasn't come again is He's giving you an opportunity to respond. And today, you can do one of two things. You can reject Him. You can reject Him as God. You can say, I'm glad I was here today. That was cool. Glad I always had Christmas to talk about Christmas stuff. But I don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe He came to earth. I don't believe Jesus died for my sins. You can reject Him or you can exalt Him. And say, He is who He says He is and I'm going to follow Him and trust Him. That's the choice. In just while we're going to have a time of response. And we're going to do something different during this series. We're going to sing songs that aren't traditionally response songs. But we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel today. And as we sing that, my prayer is that you would think about those lyrics and ask the Lord, Lord, what is my response? What do I need to do? How do I need to praise you? How do I need to rejoice? Who do I need to share with? Who do I need to talk to about you? And as we do that today, if the Lord leads you to respond in any way, I'm going to ask you to come and talk to me. I'll be standing right here at the front. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to be saved. You need to accept the Lord for the first time. Maybe you need to say, this is the place where God's calling me to be a part of His church, and I want to do that. I'm just going to ask you to do what God leads you to do. Let's pray together.